I'm Eric. And I'm Lauren. We've both volunteered for progressive political causes. And we're both nerds. Growing up, Shira was one of my favorite shows. I've never seen it before. Catching it on Netflix again recently, it struck me how modern the show still feels. Even though it's definitely a product of its time. We're interested in the ways She-Ra presents a modern progressive message. And the ways in which it fails. Join us each week as we dive deep into a different She-Ra story. Always with an eye on how it relates to the present. We're only doing episodes from the first season, so you can follow along on Netflix. But we'll also recap the episodes so you don't have to. We'd love to hear your feedback on everything we're discussing. So please, enjoy this political, nerdy dive into a heck of a cartoon. This This is is She-Ra, Progressive Progressive of Power. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of She-Ra Progressive of Power. As always, except for that one time, I am Eric. I'm Lauren. The memory haunts us still. Yeah, it does. Well, also, we may have a guest in the studio who just reminded us of the one time we introduced ourselves (laughs) as the opposite person. Guys, remember that one time your podcast made a mistake? Thanks, friend. Oh, it was. (laughs) Wait, did you think that was a mistake? Did you think, like, I thought that my name was Lauren? I just thought you were speaking too quickly. Oh, <laughs> now it's even funnier. I was definitely doing a bit, but I think it's hilarious that you thought that I made a genuine mistake. I am not nuanced enough for your sophisticated comedy. Clearly. Okay, so last episode, my discussion question for Lauren before the show involved pie. And I told her, Lauren, I'm not going to ask you about pie this time. So I have a real, like, deep-cutting literary question, okay? Oh, boy. Because this episode that we're about to talk about is kind of like Shira's version of Silent Spring. Heavens, is it that? It is. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I can tell I'm already blindsiding you. <laughs> yes. What, what <laughs> counterculture novel or, or artifact would you like to see Shira adapt? Uh, I don't know about counterculture, but I would like to see some no exit, uh, some hell is other people with the rebellion. Just, just no horde at all. And we just sit in the rebellion dealing with each other for an entire episode. That sounds cool. I, I wonder if an episode like that exists. We sure haven't seen one without the horde. No, not yet. I mean, it's it's like uh, I bring up Doctor Who a lot, but every season of Doctor Who has one episode that doesn't have the Doctor. I wish there were one episode without the Horde. Yeah, or even I mean, one without Shira would be pretty bold. I guess like the very beginning does because there is no Shira yet. But <laughs> well, then it would be the Bow Show, and I don't know if I want to watch that. Let's not count Glimmer out quite yet, though. That's true. I I don't know if I have a super good answer, but the first thing I thought of is um one flew over. Over the cuckoo's nest what uh well because okay because we're talking about a topic in this episode that like kind of fits the episode this episode is kind of a lot of things and it doesn't really commit to any one thing but we have a really good guest to talk about one of the things that it kind of is uh but i would like an episode that is more like a look at like the horrors of of uh healthcare on etheria <laughs> Sure, especially because the Horde is in charge of it. We already saw Horde schools and their, in big quotation marks, curriculum. So I'm sure it's a trash fire. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you don't have to like recreate the, the smothering pillow scene in, in She-Ra. I hope not. Yeah, but you could though. No, I hope not. <laughs> it's for children, Eric. It, I mean, I know we're... True. 
over we're we're all over 30 in this room and we're talking about a kids show but it's still for kids that's true i mean probably kids i don't know if if they brought shira back they'd probably like try to make it like cool with a k and it would be lame yeah they did that with thundercats yeah yeah anytime you like sexualize thundercats i'm out like instant (laughs) instant out anyway Let's talk about the episode we're talking about. So we're we're jumping back a little bit. Here's the peek behind the curtain. Unexpected Ally was going to be our finale. And then we kind of, Lauren suggested doing some episodes, even if they are a little more tangential about topics that are important to address. And we have some cool guests coming up for those topics too. And so we jumped back in the series chronology a little bit, even though it doesn't matter because it's not a serialized show, uh, to an episode called The Peril of Whispering Woods. Which you'd think is about environmentalism, and kind of it is, which is why I said this is the Silent Spring episode. But what happens is uh, the rebels interrupt Hordak from stealing another round of taxes. Once again, taxes make a return. And uh, they retreat to Whispering Woods, and Hordak is super angry that the woods always foil him because magically they keep the rebels safe from outside harm. So uh, Hordak... And Shadow Weaver find this, like, potion that will wither the woods. And they load it up and drop it all over the woods. And the woods start to die. So that's the environmental part of the episode. But there's a character in this episode we've never seen before or since named Prince Zed, who is apparently Horde Prime's son. And he calls Hordak uncle. So that's kind of weird. And he's this little brat of a kid. And he is on, like, these poison spraying runs. And he falls off a jet sled when the rebels fight back. And he becomes a captive of the rebels. And even though he's their enemy, the rebels help him get back to health because he's hurt. And he, in return, promises to help them stop the destruction of Whispering Woods. So Hordak makes a deal. He'll spare the woods if they give him back his nephew. Uh, Of course, Hordak's lying, but the rebels knew he would lie. And they magically, in the time that Hordak is, like, making the trade, suck out the evil poison and replace it with wood-growing poison, uh, wood-growing pollen or whatever, and they sprinkle that over the woods, and then the rebels are safe, and that's the end of the episode. What an episode, huh? Yeah, uh, your summaries are always very interesting to me because I'm fascinated always by what you choose to include and what you choose to skip. You skipped the poor twiggets entirely. Oh, that's right. And when the wood starts to wither... So do they, and they become. At first, it starts with a very cartoon thing of like the kind of chunky one coughs, and then the the girl one goes, "Oh no, your cough is getting worse," <laughs> and then it like devolves into like they're um, they're all laying bedridden, like on the verge of death because their their sanctuary is being destroyed. Yes, uh, interestingly, our last episode by coincidence was unexpected ally, and. It was interesting to watch two episodes back to back where a deal was made and Hordak goes, psych, I don't make deals with rebels. And it goes badly for him every time. That's true. That exactly happens again in this episode, which was like 30 episodes in the production order before uh, Unexpected Ally, almost like it's a character trait of Hordak. Right. I do appreciate that we're going back in time here. Uh, 
the reason I'm kind of honored is because, as you all remember, I never saw She-Ra, Princess of Power, before we started this podcast. So we got to the end of Eric's list of proposed episodes, and I kind of went, now that I'm into this show, now that I'm really grooving on it, here are some discussions I would like to have based around this program. I'm pretty psyched, so I'm sorry we're going out of order. But we get to bring in my friends as guests. Yeah, so speaking of... Who do we have, Lauren? This is my improv buddy from college, Adam Del Conte. Uh, Adam, these days, is not just an improv master. He is also a... Doctor? Doctor almost? No, doctor for real. You are doctor. For but real. You're doing a residency? Yes. Okay, yes. Great. You Every- are doctor. Yes. Doctor Del Conte. <laughs> to the best of my knowledge. <laughs> I don't know. I work at an optometry school, and they become doctors, but then sometimes they actually didn't pass their boards and have to go back after graduation, and then sometimes they do residency, and that's considered an educational opportunity. I know nothing about this. I mean, you can be a doctor of anything. Like, Gene Simmons was Dr. Love. Do you think he passed the boards? I doubt it. That's a reference to a song from, like, 40 years ago. (laughs) (laughs) I am hip to the musics of today. So, uh, Adam, tell us a little bit about yourself and what you practice. Yeah, so I'm a, I am still a resident, so it's kind of like uh, everybody, everybody loves to think about the intricacies of medical education these days, I'm sure. So everybody out there knows that you go to medical school, and then you are a doctor, and then you go to a residency training to get more focused training on whatever your specialty may be, whether that be surgery or ophthalmology or general care. You become a double doctor, basically. Mm, yes. <laughs> no, there are double doctors, the MD-PhDs, and they're crazy. Whoa. Yeah. It's so much school. Yeah. One doctor is plenty for me. And where is your residency right now? Or uh, if you don't want to say, like, what kind of medicine are you focusing on? Yeah. So I'm doing family and community medicine, uh, focusing on carefully underserved and uh, advocacy in medicine. That's awesome. Yeah. So appropriate for yeah. our show. Yeah, I wish that we had an episode that more directly related to the topic. But do you do you you see what I mean that this episode is kind of like a lot of a bunch of things? There's like a lot crammed into these 22 minutes. It is. You when you told me what this episode was and how it related to healthcare and sort of who has access to healthcare, I for about 10 minutes thought maybe I was watching the wrong episode. I'm like, when is that part going to happen? Oh, no. But by the same token, I didn't feel like it hit environmentalism enough to make it an episode about that because it's kind of there's nothing really like the metaphor is so abstract. Uh, It's not even a metaphor. It's like this is poison. We're dropping it on the trees. Like it's not like a lesson. It's just like don't poison poison the trees. Right. Exactly. So I I don't know. Even though it is kind of like the uh, Silent Spring-esque She-Ra episode, I felt like the medical issue is the one that maybe is handled more subtly in a weird way, even though it's kind of a smaller part of the show. Well, we could talk that they are interrelated pretty heavily and that it's, uh, you know, when we talk about health, the socioeconomic determinants of health are pretty huge and it's pretty well documented that marginalized populations are frequently located in places that are uh, in, uh, you know, and unequally affected by industrial pollution, industrial waste, etc. I mean, look at Flint, look at some other places. So the Whispering Woods being, you know, targeted out by... Uh, <laughs> No, you're H- absolutely Hordex, dark, dark smoke. <laughs> and I, I, that's totally right. Like, and this is 
so Lauren and I will know this writer. He also wrote A Loss for Words and uh, Book Burning. And so this is our old hippie friend, Francis Moss. And this is absolutely the product of like a very lefty kind of like free loving guy who's like, yeah, man, those machines just kill all the trees, man. And I love that about this. It does, um, to Adam's point, explore a little bit more my questions as a new viewer to this show about the different races on this planet or the different species, whatever you want to call them, and sort of the the differences in how they're treated and how they live. So we've seen uh, several aliens or monsters get pushed off into essentially reservations, and now we've seen sort of how the Twiggets get a really raw deal based on uh where they've chosen to live i guess it seems more like they're extensions of the woods to me like that was what i was picking up that it's as though the woods incarnated in them right they certainly can't leave so they kind of are the woods i guess yeah and so they're but they become collateral damage because i've never really considered the twiggets exactly rebellion in the same way that the human characters are rebellion. Sure. Uh, and so in trying to get to Shira and company, these sort of civilian characters end up suffering the most. And that I think that is like a, a relevant point. Absolutely. Like whether or not it's intentional or not, there is this subtext of like who, who suffers because of industrial like wantonness and all those things. Or like war, it, really. Yeah. They they can't they can't be war refugees elsewhere. This is where they are stuck, I guess. So one of the the lines that really struck me in this episode was uh, when Shira says to the prince, when you fight me, you are my enemy. But now that they're not fighting anymore, she puts emphasis on healing the injured. Uh, and that's delivered unilaterally. It doesn't matter to her friend, enemy, what the past was. What that reminded me of as someone who works at an optometry school is the optometric oath. And I'm assuming you took a similar oath, right, Adam, to just serve whomever? Yeah, we got a Hippocrates or Hippocrates, if you want to really. Tell us more about that. The big thing is first do no harm, right? That's the heart of it. And then it is, yeah, provide care to uh, whoever is in need. Then there's some like antiquated ancient Greek stuff about not giving away the secrets of your teacher and making sure you take care of his kids. But I don't think we have to worry about that too much. <laughs> but I, I, you're totally right. Like that scene and that speech from Shira, it's very much like a Hippocratic moment, right? Like she is basically stating the doctor's basic code in that scene, it feels like. I think also just like the, hopefully the decent humans code, right? Like if, if there is need and I am able to provide help, that that is, that is what I will do. 
you would hope, and yet I we see even in the show, Prince Zed says if you know the shoe was on the other foot, that wouldn't be the case. And I I think I mean literally like right now our country is in a battle of like some people. <laughs> I saw this tweet today that was like, well, sure, we're electing a guy who would rape my daughter, but that's only because he's trying to not give me health care, which Yikes. is like horrible. But that's where we're at in this country, right? Like it's like if you try to give someone health care, you're the enemy now. Right. Well, the key word being give um, as in for free, because if someone perceives you're getting care and didn't sort of work for it or earn it somehow, or maybe you got it and someone who considered themselves more worthy didn't, like then it's a problem. Sure. Free healthcare is a problem. Free college is a problem to the sort of stereotypical conservative mindset. But in the optometric oath, I know, uh, even if they can't afford it, is a part of it and regardless of personal gain is a part of it well it's just gross to me and i mean i'm sure adam you can speak to this that healthcare is gated based on what one can pay like shouldn't we all be able to be healthy and to have care if we need it absolutely i mean i think we could argue that you know for many people that should be counted amongst life liberty and the pursuit of happiness it's hard to pursue happiness if you've got a terrible diabetic foot ulcer or some other you know, crippling inability. Yeah, I know the, the institution that I work for, the, the mission statement is that healthcare is a right, not a privilege. Um, so specifically in the focusing on the, the care for the underserved, it is, you know, we have an awesome amount of uh, systems in place to help people get the care they need, however they can afford to pay for it or not. I appreciate what you just said about being disabled, being ill, having some sort of health struggle keeps you from the pursuit of happiness. Because I would never imply that someone with a systemic disease or a genetic disorder couldn't be happy, but it does certainly prevent a person from sort of getting those base level, like Maslow's hierarchy of needs things covered so they could pursue more diverse and elevated types of happiness. If you are having trouble just getting out the door every day because you can't have health care, what, what, what were you missing out on because you didn't get out the door? Uh, it's so uh, tough for me to stomach that we sort of decide who deserves to do that and who doesn't in our sort of profit-based, not only health care, but insurance. There's a lot of people going through open enrollment in insurance at their places of work right now. I was really taken by the fact that if you at my job wanted to apply for uh, supplemental life insurance, you needed to give blood, like literally give your blood over to be tested to see if you were like essentially healthy enough to be profitable to an insurance company. I don't know. And isn't that the opposite of what insurance should do, right? Well, like- for, for the consumer, but it's exactly what the company wants. And a friend of the podcast just shared on Facebook this 100-question health survey she had to take to show her employer and their uh, insurance provider whether or not she was deserving of more affordable benefits. And not only did it ask sort of probing invasive health questions, but also things like, if you needed someone to care for you, would someone be there for you? If you needed someone to lend you money, would someone be there for you? It was like, really getting into not only the person's personal health, 
but their network of friends and thus their sort of socioeconomic status. And it's back to what Adam was saying. If you have a troubled socioeconomic status, you're just on your back foot. They won't give you the same privileges of someone who is healthier and wealthier. It's almost like a social engineering question, which is very gross. Like, how, how much do people love you? Let's sort you based on that. Yeah, and if you don't have anybody, there's a lot of reasons why that might have happened, and some of them are very tragic. It shouldn't count against whether or not you pay more to get health care. Well, Gosh. And often the people who have no safety net are the ones who have less money to pay to begin with. Right. Well, I was just thinking that, so... I was at a doctor's office today, incidentally. Um, I have sleep hallucinations, which is a long and elaborate thing I could tell you all about after the show. And I'm now in my second doctor because I just didn't like kind of what the first doctor had to say. I'm thinking, gosh, how privileged am I that not only I can afford to go to a doctor that's essentially trying to give me better dreams. I'm not in any physical pain. Like, I'm fine during the day. But I can pick and choose. I could go to another doctor. And some people just live with what's wrong with them because they can't help but do that. So maybe, I mean, kind of the root of a lot of these issues is that maybe profit shouldn't be so tied up in in making people well enough to exist. And I don't mean to do make this seem like a hit job on the person who's lifeblood is being a doctor but like what are your thoughts on that because to me it's similar to like for-profit prisons like as long as incarceration people make money off of it it's going to keep happening as long as people make money off of people being sick there's no super great incentive for like the people at the heads of these companies to change things right uh yeah i i agree that sounds right to me and it's super frustrating and part of why i got into this was to hopefully you know uh, generate change or be a part of change from the inside out. Yeah, and I know there's a lot of talk, and I certainly have a lot more to continue to learn about this, uh, but about changing the model of reimbursement so it's it's um, less of a procedure-based and more of outcomes-based. So, like, the more healthy people that you're taking care of, like, the more people that you are making healthy and helping, not making healthy, healthy the more people that you are helping create health in their life, that's what the reimbursement is based off of, not how many colonoscopies uh, GI doc did or how many procedures were done, but more like if those then help the person be healthier and require less intervention down the line. So, um, but yeah, it's, it's switching the values, right? So it's hopefully focusing on generating health versus treating disease. And you're certainly in the right specialization to like help make that change. So like clearly that's, you know, you're passionate about that area and I really appreciate that. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> So one of the other things that this episode, I think, kind of commits to but doesn't quite fully commit to is uh, just the laws of war or the etiquette of war. There's been, uh, no matter who's the president in the United States, there's always talk of, like, 
chemical weapons against civilians is a hard line, you know? Uh, and in this case, they explore that a little bit. Uh, for the prince, the thing that is being done to the woods is just this this red line for him. He sees the trees dying. He sees the twiggets sick. He gets help anyway, despite the fact that he's kind of responsible in a, in, a, in a sideways way for what's going on. And he says, you know what, even though you're my enemy, even though I'd put the twiggets in cages and after this we're still not going to get along, this is where I draw the line, right? And there was another sort of wartime thing too where Shira has to explain to him the difference between attacking and defending oneself and yeah, and this is some of the more hardcore, like, war or battle kind of episodes we've come across. And it's very early in the show. I don't have any, like, point that I'm driving at other than I was very taken by that. And I'd like to hear what you guys have to say. Yeah, that is interesting. And I think that's part of kind of the episode's, like, hodgepodgey nature. Like, it's... I, I was also surprised because the on the surface, this episode's moral is a little more cerebral. You know, this idea of like we have to protect the woods and we have to take care of those who oppose us. But in execution, like the stakes are that the cute little twiggets are like going to die because their home is being eaten up by poison. And that is like some of the music cues and some of the animation choices were very dour in a surprising way in this one. Yeah, the animation of the actual poison coming down, it really made me cringe a bit. I, it was pretty intense. Yeah. Cover your nose and mouth. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, so I, uh, just to take it back a bit, I had not watched a whole lot of She-Ra growing up. I was a, a He-Man junkie, standard uh, little little nerd boy. Um, my name was Adam, so I was fully convinced that if I found a power sword, that I would then be able to be He-Man and turn our cat Max into Battle Cat. You got to <laughs> keep your eyes open. And that sword yeah. could be anywhere. Yeah, we still don't know. That could be true. It's distinctly possible. <laughs> yeah. So I am, I am, I am on the lookout. Um, but I don't remember watching a lot of Shira. So what was it? Uh, the chaos zone? Where is the the, the fright zone? In the fright zone, right? We throw people in cages and we throw them in dungeons. Yeah, I liked. I thought it was kind of silly how, and again, a kids show, but just like, um, oh, I see these two instances where people aren't jerks. Maybe I won't be a jerk. Do you think that will stick? Well, he said that. Uh, I'm going to keep being a jerk until I inherit the kingdom and then I'll be on your team, right? That was... <laughs> yeah, so I was shocked by this episode, that specific part of this episode, because it's episode like 12 and we had gotten very close to the end of the first season, what's available on Netflix, and never in the episodes we've watched thus far was sort of the hierarchy of the horde explored nor did I know that this kid existed. And so I have so many more questions now. There's so much more color here about is the intergalactic presence of the Horde just as bad? Is Hordak sort of a bad egg? Is he like an outlier? Is this kid actually going to bring some level of progressive values or is he just going to be corrupted by being exposed to his crappy family? I, th I Suddenly I'm thinking of the Trump kids. Oh, no. I do think it's not an accident that this is a child, though, right? Like, it, as so often happens in this show, it's the children who are the future, so to speak. Uh, whether or not we believe him is certainly another matter. But 
I thought it was pointed that it was the kid who was like, hey, you know, some of this is just beyond the pale for me. I did sort of, I'm only thinking of this now. It does sort of feel like a cop-out that the kid says, someday when I'm in charge, I will make change. It almost makes me believe him less because we see throughout this episode that the prince can influence the people around him a great deal. Whether it's the sort of petty, I'm going to tell my father on you, so you better not be a jerk, or the actual like successful healing of the woods. He is a badass right now. He doesn't have to wait, in my opinion. Also, shout out to his outfit, because I know his name is Zed, but I just kept calling him Tiny Wolverine. He looks like, <laughs> he looks like 80s X-Men cartoon Wolverine. Very true. Ooh, I have a really fun fact about his appearance. Oh, thank goodness. Yeah. The book is being opened. This is actually kind of horrifying, though. So Prince Zed's character model would later be slightly altered and reused for Horde Corporal Romeo in Romeo and Glimmer. So you can guess what that episode's about, right? Oh. So, okay, and then... Part two, in the script, Glimmer shows an attraction to Prince Zed after he kisses her hand. That's real gross, right? Like, that kid's like 13. Yeah, I'm taken to some, like, uh, Anakin Padme vibes. Yeah, a little bit. Uh, on a lighter note, does the Horde have a dunk tank? Yes. They okay. totally two, have a dunk two tank. Two separate dunk tanks. <laughs> That's right, because they didn't reset the first one. They <laughs> must have two. Side by side. So at least two that we know of. And that, that is exactly how Catra tortures people. Yes. Adam, Adam if you were Hordak and could design your own fortress, what is the device that you would have installed not necessarily to torture people. Maybe it's just a popcorn machine. It would have your face on it, as is Horde custom. Yeah. That's true. Um, it would either be my face on a snow cone machine or on a stairwell that turned into a slide. Oh. That's cool. Yeah, and then you could stick that on other people all the time, Horde, horde style. So good. Um, there was some really funny stuff in this episode too i yes, thought some... the old man in the cart i laughed out loud yes. it's rare that i do i verbalize anything when i'm watching this show by myself but well i'll be who's doing that <laughs> <laughs> yeah so rustic it's my favorite i really liked uh this exchange between zed and hordak zed says of his dad he thinks you should have taken care of the rebels long ago and hordak goes uh Oh, <laughs> like, <laughs> just very, like, matter-of-factly. I also love when Zed wakes up in the rebel camp and he goes, Are you an angel? No, I am She-Ra, princess of power. <laughs> like, very declarative, which she never uses that title. No, I like, though, <laughs> it reminds me of literally the beginning of this episode of the podcast when you revealed to me that you didn't make a mistake, you were doing a bit. It just went right over her head. She didn't realize he was doing a bit. She was like, no, literally, I'm She-Ra. What, what, what are you talking about? I, I wonder if she like knew he was royalty and she's like, you little shit, I'm also royalty. Don't step on my ground. I'm the princess. See, this episode, we're just... We're just injecting, like, better fan theories than I think the actual truth is. The actual truth is probably just, that's the title of the show, yeah, and we need mm -hmm. to say it more. 
You guys are so good at making this so rich. (laughs) I'll tell you what, though. I watched this episode three times in total. I watched it once on my first watch through to see if it was good for environmentalism. As we all know, it wasn't. (laughs) I watched it a second time because sometimes when I'm bored, I'll just put on a random episode. And this DVD was in my PlayStation. So I'm like, all right, this one. And I watched it today. And I liked it quite a bit this third time. I think it's not again super successful at conveying like one message but as a story i thought it was pretty all right yeah it has a lot to offer uh overall there's some additions to the world building there's some moral lessons there's some action there's some heart to it uh and also we have Bo saying tell the tree to look out for me i was waiting for that one to come up because that was the highlight of the episode for me <laughs> i think um yeah, as someone who's like jumping back into this childhood series for the first time in a long time, I'm not going to lie, I did not like the episode a lot. It's uh, uh. <laughs> it shows it shows that it's early on. One of the more interesting things to me was we jumped so far back into the season that there was some animation choices and definitely the audio of She-Ra saying for the honor of Grayskull, there was some stuff that was really still rough around the edges. I didn't realize we'd been polishing that over time until we went back. I actually did start watching this one and kind of went, Okay. I'm good to know it was a little bit of early seasonitis. I think so. I, I hadn't put that together, but that's totally true. Like so much of the audio here had like thick reverb on it for no reason. I don't know what was going on with that. I think it was just early. Yeah. Yeah. So for me, the highlights were were Bo giving sass to the tree. <laughs> uh, the the two birds with a net that caught little Zed. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, I thought was really fantastic. And then the fact that flying a peg of corn and using a sword is actually a very efficient way not only to harvest grain, but to make uh, corn mazes to <laughs> confuse the horde. How did she have time to do that? She was like five feet in front of the rebel tank. I know, but <laughs> but Glimmer pointed out that she was making dead ends to confuse the tanks. So yeah. She's that good. A great example of this show's um, tell-don't-show aesthetic because they don't have the budget to show. So they tell a lot. Uh, my final question is... What power or intellect was Madame Raz using to build an antidote? I know she's normally magic, but this seemed to be just some sort of flat-out chemistry. She, she was doing science. I planned to say Deary Mai a lot this episode, because this was the first time I had seen this character in 20-odd years. Please listen to my favorite episode of both the show and this podcast, which is when her ex- boyfriend comes back to town i'll be there okay. it's very good <laughs> oh dearie my um yeah and her moment of discovery i don't know what it the broom asks her if she figured out what it is and she says no but i figured out what it's not and that was enough right that's not paid off that's a really good point like what does that line mean it's not not poison I think maybe that's what we're supposed to take it was like magic it was dark magic so, so she could reverse it I don't know. That's true. It was our favorite horde general. Yes. Shadow Weaver's magic wilted the woods. Which was pretty great. In this ancient tome, which I have just recently acquired. <laughs> her, her line reading was really interesting because she's like, it is in this book. As though like book is a noun that you wouldn't know. It was, yeah. I have acquired Wee-oo. book. Yeah. I still think she should just be in charge, though. 
Everyone else is useless. In my fanfic that I wrote in eighth grade, she totally was. Oh, Excellent. good. <laughs> is yeah. that going to be uh, an episode of the podcast? I have to tell you, and this hasn't come up yet, but on one of my other shows, my storytelling show, uh, every year we do fan fiction February, and two years ago I got the Nerdalogs to read out an edited version of the pilot, and that is now on the internet for all to enjoy. Oh, it's man. very embarrassing. That means that all we can do is go back to Eternia and find Orko. That may not be extremely easy. Remember, the demon army is marching to Eternia as we speak. The portal is not exactly easy access. We do have your sword. That's true, but it still leads to the same place. We may have to fight some more. Adam nods. Size. <sighs> A necessary evil, I suppose. It's settled then? One thing. The way you're talking doesn't mean... She-Ra nods again. It does. I don't have a choice anymore. I have to question, too, since we're about to engage some more of the demons in combat. Are you... S- and you've seen their ability. Don't you think it would be prudent to... Adam smiles again, this time much more widely. Why, I do believe you're right. Adam raises his sword in the air and takes the classic stance. By the power of Grayskull! <laughs> a bolt of power engulfs Adam, and he transforms into He-Man. I have the power! <laughs> He-Man reaches his sword. Much better. Fire it up, sis. Will do, brother. Uh, didn't you tell me a story about meeting She-Ra at the mall? I did. I met both He-Man and She-Ra. You know, as a little kid of the 90s, everyone knows, like, their mall that they grew up with. So ours was the Oak Court Mall. You know, you go to the Oak Court Mall. Yeah. And uh, He-Man and She-Ra were there. And my parents knew that it was really important, so they took me. What was shocking is that He-Man wasn't the real He-Man, obviously. It was some dude in a, a foam rubber latex suit. But to my little kid mind, that was the real She-Ra. Like, she was live-action uh, full suit, power sword and everything. I think I might have got a kiss on the cheek. I could have just hallucinated it. Um, <laughs> could have retroactively built yeah, that in my mind. built that memory. So um, uh, my theory is that must mean we live in Etheria, yes. where we have the real She-Ra with us at all times. He-Man is off in his own world, yeah. and so we have to bring in like a muscle suit. I mean, that seems pretty obvious right like clearly we're in the one that evil controls and Eternia is just a far off fantasy land so not having listened to all the episodes i had a question about she-ra versus he-man that yes. you guys may have discussed earlier but she invokes the honor of grayskull yes whereas he-man invokes the power have you guys already talked about this in other episodes not directly. no that's a great question uh, i'd like to hear your thoughts on it because i have a few too well, I was curious, and you know, I've only listened to a couple of podcasts, but I got the the crux of the Etheria versus Eternia is one is evil is already in control and is the norm, and we've got the rebellion against it, and then in the other, everything is groovy and wonderful and sunshine, and evil is just like the obnoxious people that kind of sneak in and mess up your plans sometimes. So in one world, power is the thing that keeps things good, and in the other world, power is the thing that keeps things bad. So what's more important for Etheria would be maintaining a sense of honor and justice against power that's used in a corrupt fashion. Man, that's way better than I was thinking. <laughs> yeah, that's an excellent answer. I just thought it was like power because he's a muscly, punchy guy and honor was just sort of more feminine. Damn, I like yours better. I think probably, Lauren, your answer is like what the creators were thinking. <laughs> like, He-Man's a man and he's strong, but She-Ra is dainty. But I think if you want, like, the compelling in-world reason, I am totally in Adam's camp. <laughs> yeah. By the power of Grayskull. 
double trouble. Uh, let's go to the moral. So this episode's kind of tough to moralize because there is so much going on. And Lookie kind of takes the healthcare angle like we did, although it's a much more simplistic spin on it. He goes, you know, if someone is nice to you, don't you feel like being nice back? That's what She-Ra did, and Prince Zed was nice in return. Always treat others the way you want them to treat you. Like She-Ra, that will work for you, too. So Bye now. Bye now. See you next time. So, Adam, my big question to you is how many, how often does the word nice appear in your medical textbooks? <laughs> uh, th- thankfully, it's actually coming up a good bit. There are huge swaths of medical education devoted to not being a dick, which unfortunately does need to be taught to a lot of people. I believe it. It um, does, both in terms of the professors at medical school and the doctors they're creating. Unfortunately, that is the case. And then just the world outside of the profession. Um, I wish that the moral rang true, right? That we could just be like, hey, let's take Donald out to a really nice brunch. <laughs> he, can, he can order well-done beef with ketchup. He can have whatever he wants, and we're just going to talk. That's When we started the show, we talked about how there's like categories of morals, and I think at this point we need to add the category of like morals that you wish were true but are not how things really work because there's a lot of those and yeah this is one of them yeah i also thought this might just be me being a a grammar fiend but he he words it poorly he says when people are nice to you you're nice back just like she-ra did but no no, they weren't nice to she-ra she-ra had to initiate and that's a slightly different thing than i think Loki is getting at transactional niceness right like of course if someone gives me positive energy i want to give it back that's that's easy or it's easier but they're literally getting bombed and she-ra is sort of reaching out in friendship and that's a level that neither looky nor the school kids he's talking to i think can really access right now it's a little bit of turn the other cheek but certainly with deeper stakes turn the other cheek if they're trying to destroy your way of life which is kind of what our empathy episode was about uh last week actually yeah and we got into how i don't i don't get behind that (laughs) yeah right so but i i I think the meat of this episode doesn't really mesh mesh with that at all but i don't know how you do extract a moral from this episode really like what what do you pull out what one thing do you say this is the moral well a big i think a big chunk of it was um and I'm going to get the, the quote a little out of whack, but sh- Glimmer was like, or Glimmet, Glimmert? Glimmer. 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 There we go. Um, I forget the phrasing she used, but she wanted to, essentially an eye for an eye thing, right? And she was like, if we try to make this equal, then we'll be just as bad as them. And I know it's kind of like the whole uh, question of like retaliating with pacifism versus returning aggression. Like how do you affect change in that unbalanced situation? Right. I want to dig into that for a second because... I don't think Lucky dug into it. No, really. not at all. I don't I don't 100% always agree with let's turn the other cheek, let's not reduce ourselves to their level because sometimes when there's like just flat out bigotry or human rights violations happening, 
you have to do more than just look the other way and 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 take one on the in the face. Like you have to actually fight back. However, I do get behind sort of what you're saying of retaliating in a different way. I feel like if you retaliate with the same violence that is being given to you, you make all the stereotypes about you true. Like you make what your enemy thinks about you true. Like, yeah, they are fighting me because they are horrible. They are violent, just like I thought they were. And it doesn't matter at that point who started it. Both sides are being the worst version of themselves and just reinforcing the other side's beliefs. And so if there's a way to retaliate, but with intelligence or with diplomacy, or with just some tactic other than eye for an eye. That might be what to aspire to. It's not turn the other cheek, it's just find a, a better way. Thanks for listening to she Progressive of Power. If you like our show, you can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. We'd super appreciate it. You can also send in any feedback you have to our email address, progressiveofpower at gmail.com, or as a comment on our podcast page, at progressiveapower.wordpress.com. If you're struggling with medical bills, there are groups out there to help you. One of those is the Patient Advocate Foundation, a nonprofit dedicated to solving insurance and healthcare access problems by helping those in need gain access to arbitration, mediation, and negotiation when it comes to both care and debt issues. For more information and to reach out for help, visit patientadvocate.org.